Once again, I want to say and reiterate from this morning what a pleasure it is to be here and be with you tonight and be able to speak from God's Word unto you tonight. Uh, if I hadn't said enough, I just want to make sure everyone's aware of it. I do appreciate the opportunity you have given me to be here and be a part of your worship service, not only this morning, but also tonight. It has been a great privilege for me and my wife to be here on these services on both occasions. And uh, may God bless you always in the work that you do and carrying forth his word uh, throughout the world and throughout our communities. As we're sister congregations here close by, it is. It's been a great pleasure to be here and be a part of it. I hope everyone, uh, I know some of them are back from the trip and everything. I hope everybody's had a great and glorious trip and serving God together and fellowship with together and of his word. <coughs> My title for tonight is about the, the scariest passage in the Bible. We were talking in the back of the building just a moment ago, even some about this, you know, and it was some of the thoughts of what could be the scariest passage in the Bible. Uh, it could be a little bit different, I know, for each of us in this fact right there. Uh, I'm afraid of a, certain things. We each have our own fears and phobias on it. Now... We might, I could stand up here and maybe preach on spiders and scare some people to death up here. Now, if I had to pull out Mark's 16th chapter, some abuse it sometimes, and where it talks about, you know, the signs of the believers there, and they picking up snakes and serpents, as it's called if the King James Version, I'm going to tell you I would have, it'd be a test of my faith on that one right there. It would absolutely be a test of my faith to be picking up snakes, as some do, and I'm not a snake handling preacher. Don't get that thought in it whatsoever because I am not in that. It would be totally by accident with me if I'm picking up a snake whatsoever. I guess that's one of my phobias. Uh, we're talking, uh, apart from me, you know, into everlasting fires. You know, how horrible that would be to hear those words. I totally agree with brother that brought it up to me. It's, that is probably one of the most terrifying passages in the Bible. That's not what my lesson's about, though, but it is absolutely, I agree, most terrifying passage. It's about to the fact, if I am found outside, if I'm found lacking, how horrible that would be to the fact to be removed from God and from his presence. It's just not for a short while. This is an eternity. Not only just being removed from God, it is to the fact of eternal punishment that would also be exacted upon me because of this. And I agree, it's that thought, and to me, hell itself. The thoughts the Bible relates to us about hell, about God is not there. The fires, the torments, the weeping, the gnashing of teeth. It, it, if it ain't shit sending shivers up your spine, it ought to be right now. The book of Revelation and some thoughts. I have talked to a lot of people through the years, and the book of Revelation is scary to people about certain things of it. And it. It's more, I think, a misunderstanding many times about that one. It's a misunderstanding on that thought of it. Uh, the things that's contained within it, many twist and abuse some of it, of what's being said there, and uh, take it out of the symbolic context of what it was given in. And that, and sort of make it more, it is terrifying. I, I'm not giving me that. There's some parts of it, it is terrifying. Now, if you're found outside of Christ, everything I have mentioned here is terrifying. 
absolutely terrifying. It's horrifying in this fact because you're talking about, as we said, depart from me. This is horrible that I be driven from the presence of God because I failed to obey him. That's not where I'm headed tonight. I'm talking more to us as Christians tonight. I know as Christians we can find ourselves on the outside too on this. I'm talking about our Christian living. That's really where I was headed with a thought on this tonight. I know Halloween's coming and what the end of the month and things like that. And people talk about spooks, goblins, and everything like that. And about the scariness of all of this. And, of course, that's all silliness. When it gets down to it, it's just all silly. But there is a scary passage. And uh, Brother just read it a moment ago to us who are Christians. We're going to look at that. And it's really we're going to look all the way down to probably about Verse 38, all the way containing into that, all the way down to verse 38. Uh, because he says here, and you might say, James, you're absolutely crazy about this. You're, you're being silly about this, of saying that how horrible it is that, you know, you need to love your enemies. Ah, oh, come on, how scary is that? Now, remember, we're talking Christians. That's you and I tonight. I figure this is the core group here, Christians, primarily. Uh, we need to love our enemies. Do we do good to them that hate us? Challenge on this minute. Bless them. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that spitefully use you. And uh, the thoughts it contains within somebody just smacks me. I'm going to, come on, just give, me, give it to me on the other side also right here. I take away one part of my garment. You need the other also to go with it in this. Uh, it's all of these thoughts there that give to people who asked of you, and it's not that it's more of the demand of what it's meaning here. It's the ones that demand because I live for God, because I strive to do what is right each and every day. This is what's happening here. People do not like me because I try to live for God. That's not a big surprise. It shouldn't be to you on that, neither what I just said there. Uh, Starting in verse 31 in that. If we get down to that, he says, And just as you want men to do to you, you do also to them likewise. We call it, it's a similar thoughts of the golden rule. It's what we, he's talking about here. But if you love those that love you, what credit is to you? For even sinners love those that love them. Why, if you only love people because they love you first, there's nothing in Nothing big about that. Everybody does things like that. Anybody's got common sense does things like that. And if you do good to them, do good to you. What credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. People in the world do the exact same thing. We're no different than anybody else if we just love and care for those who do good to us and love us at the same time. If you just lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much you only helped those that helped you. And I thought, but love your enemies, do good and lend and hoping for nothing in return. And your reward be great and you shall be the sons of the most high. For he is kind to the unthankful, the evil. Therefore be merciful even as your father in heaven is merciful. That's a challenge right here to me when he's talking about the mercy of God and how I need to be just like that in this fact right here. Uh, that we're not judgment. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, 
that it shall be put in your bosom for the same measure that you use, it shall be measured back to you in this. I'm talking to us as Christians. I know we can be lost in hell is a terrifying place. It should be somewhat of a motivator to live right for God. Jesus is taking it to the next level in these passages. He's taking it to the next level for us. In, in a way, to me, it's scary in that fact. Because he's not asking, he's demanding, this is the commandment of God that I should be living in this way. In a way, to me, you think about, as I said, the frightening verses of the Bible. Revelation, many abuse it, as I said, and make it things that it's not meaning in that. Because some of it has already happened, some of it is yet to happen. Some might say 2 Peter 3rd chapter is a... A terrifying chapter, you know, as it gets to the end, as uh, Peter is relating to the fact that the world's going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be burned up and consumed on that great day of the Lord. It, what you see around is not going to, beauty of it and everything, it's not going to be here. Don't try to put your ties here. This is not going to last. That's, it should be motivating and terrifying. Even Matthew 24th chapter, into the 25th chapter, uh, destruction of Jerusalem, as it recounts in the 24th chapter, as he's retalk, talking about it there, that how horrible it's going to be when Jerusalem falls, the things that's going to happen there. He describes it about towards the end, or closer to the end, 25th chapter, it gets into about the second coming of Christ, and somewhere it transitions in the 24th chapter into, going into that thought. It sort of covers a little both. In that right there. You know, it's horrible. If you found outside of Christ, I pray tonight that you will change tonight. It should terrify you, the things that we have just briefly talked about in those passages tonight. The Bible is very vivid in description of what could be happening place or taking place right there in this soon future of whatever that may be. I don't know what that would be. Sometimes we just blow it off and our thinking right here. Uh, and then the world comes crashing in someday. The world will come crashing in on us. But I'm just using this, and of course this is just James's opinion on it. This is to us as Christians. What is asked of us in this passage here is highly demanding and scary. It's very highly demanding. It challenges me greatly. I'm not going to lie about it. It challenges me. It challenges every aspect of me because it's not what I am. I have to change to meet this. I mean, I really have to change everything about me to be what he's asking here. And it's to the fact that demands are very personal. You might say, Lord, saying, oh, the whole world be like this and we need to be loving to everybody. And that is true, what he's saying, or in essence of what's being said. He's, it's really more personal than that. James, you need to be like this. For the church to be like this, you, it starts with you. You've got to be like this. We are the church in the first place. There's no mistaking who he's directing this to. There's two people involved in this conversation, you know, in essence of what he's talking about here. First of all, there is Jesus. Jesus is the one doing the speaking here. Uh, got your Bibles, you'll eat red right there. Also, and 
Move on back, it will be from Jesus as it states there. These are his words, these are his commands that he's giving here. He's the one in person directing and delivering this. Then it is to the person that hear, person or persons that hears the words that are being related right here. What he has given here. That is the second individual that's involved in this conversation. He's saying, I am talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking about some idea out there in the world. It'd be, you know, peace and love throughout the world. That's not, yeah, it's great to have peace and love throughout the world, but he's, he's getting direct. This is how these things happen. This is how it happens. He's talking directly to me in this. He's talking to you about this. People talk about having Jesus for your personal Savior. I agree with it. He's all of our Savior. But this is personal right here. I mean, if you want it to be personal, you need to live it personally. Let's get down to what it really means right here. He's talking directly to you and I in these passages. It's to the ones that were hearing it that day. And to you and I who have just read through these scriptures, that's who he's talking to. Every one of us. You claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You claim to be his believer. you follower of him. You, might, you carry the name Christian right here. This is you. This is you. This is who he's talking about here. In a way, I think it's scary, and that's how I was using that thought right there. Part of it is fact it is that personal. It's not some peace and love of the world. It's personal to you and I. It's that personal in this. He confronts his disciples about this. He's challenged them in all of these things right there. Uh, Jesus gets a little shaky within us because he's talking to us personally about this and directing it just to me on this. James, this is directed to you. Demands are so radical. This is not the way the world lives out here. This is not the way we think or how you've been brought up in the world out here to think like this of what Jesus is asking us. If you're going back and look and starting that, in verse 27, he directs it. You need to love your enemies. Whew. I don't like them. I don't like them all. I, it's not, you know, I just don't like the way they treat me. He's talking about people because you strive to live right before the Almighty God. They don't like you. It, it's more than that. They don't like you. They hate you. They're going to do things against you. They're going to say things about you. They're going to, people are going to say ugly things about you. They're going to call you ugly names, and I mean dirty names. They're going to confront you. They're going to call, tell lies behind your back. They're going to make gossip about you. Uh, they're going to steal, lie, cheat you in every way they can. Just simply the fact that you strive to do what's right. Uh, I know it all happened to me. I don't know about you, but these are just small in nature, really, of what some of the things we all endure for his sake there. It's not talking about loving my enemies. <laughs> just keep them over there. And, you know, we got... At least a mile distance from us, each other. I, you know, I can love everybody that way if I just keep them a mile away at that. He's not talking about, you know, we was at war with, what would be Afghanistan and some of the other places. Well, let's send them care packages now. 
you know, and try to win them over in some benevolent way in that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing involved in some of that. I'm not meaning that. But he's meaning more about that, more than just doing good than that. He's talking about you and I being involved personally in this right here. We need to be involved personally in this care and this love of others. Do good to them who hate you, but I don't like them. I don't. I don't like them. He's not saying that it's just people. I got people that bug me. Don't you? I got people that bug me. Uh, he's talking about people that hate you, though. It's more than that. It's people that absolutely just hate and despise you for what you are. Bless them. As it goes into the next verse, bless them. I, like I said, these are scary things here because this is not what James is. It's not what I am. It's what, not what was inside of me. He's saying I need to bless people. That means say good things about them. Say good things that's related into happiness with them. I am to bless them, and that means when they're saying bad things about me and saying ugly things about me, I'm saying good things about them instead. And that is not what our normal reaction is. When somebody says something bad about me, we just go right to their level, and we'll, we'll fire right back at them. We'll fire right back. Pray for them that have done bad things to me. I found this would be probably the most helpful of me in my life right there. It's great power of prayer, and I'm just saying this on my personal level right here. This prayer, prayers help me a lot on these passages right here uh, in this. Uh, it's hard to pray for somebody when they cheat you, don't they? They lie about you, and they've talked ugly, and they call you the ugliest things under the sun. And this right here, their main spirit, and you pray for them? I, it's tough. It's tough. I had somebody not long ago talk to me about this, about uh, the problems that they were just having to face in their life, the hardship and the hurt that they were bearing in their life, just simply because of the hatred that somebody else had for them and the things that they were saying. And the best of... I could give them, we talked about these passages, actually, and we prayed. We prayed for the people by name. We prayed for them by name. Because if I pray for them, I pray for people I care about. You know, that's how it starts changing things. I pray for people I really, you know, it changes a lot of my attitude about that person. If I'm praying about them. Return good for evil. I... Turn that other cheek around in this right here. Don't demand back what people take from us in this. And we'll talk some more about this and clarify what he's saying more about this. Uh, don't, if somebody's violent to me, you know, don't take it back to them in this. That's not what he's meaning. On the cause of the Lord, don't take it back on them on this. You're not going to gain somebody to Christ by having them down on the ground beating them up. You're not going to gain them to the Lord. And he talks about give, give instead in this, not expecting something back in return in all of this. He goes on in thoughts of being merciful. We need to be merciful. Uh, it's easy, like I said, uh, I got a lot of people, my friends, people I work with, uh, loved ones. It's easy to be merciful to them, isn't it? Forgiving in this nature right here. But he's saying more than that. 
we're to practice it to everybody, uh, not preconceived judgment and condemnation towards them there. We are to be forgiving in this. It's hard when family even hurts you. I believe that's the deep cuts in your hearts, isn't it? When family hurts you, annoying you, disappoint us, that's when the hurt goes a little bit deeper when that happens in this. Uh, we're not to condemn, as he says in this. We're to forgive in this. Forgiveness, sometimes not automatic response in that fact right there. It's something we've got to learn. Showing this mercy, and mercy simply means the fact Somebody did not deserve this. They've not re-earned this trust to the fact that you need to be merciful back now to them. You owe them. No, mercy means to the fact they have done nothing to earn it back. They've not done anything, but yet you forgive and show mercy. I think about my Lord when we talk about mercy. Jesus hanging on Calvary's cross, dying for our sins. It's not because James was the best guy on earth that he just owes it to me. You know, he owed me one, so he's going to do it for me. It's the exact opposite of this. Uh, he gave mercy, grace unto me and saved me by his blood. Even crying out from the cross, some of the statements of the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His forgiveness and mercy being extended even in a trying-ness hour of his life right there. Now, for me to be merciful, it talks about a radical change in my life because this is not something, you know, I'm just born this way. It's not that way of the world in this. It removes, when I do this, any rousation of the fact that I should be seeking out revenge. revenge vengeance belongs to the Lord. And we don't need to be out there doing the Lord's work on that side of it. Let the Lord take care of that one. We've got other work we need to be doing for the Lord on this. It makes us vulnerable when we extend mercy to others. That The fact somebody might take advantage of me, and that's happened, will happen again, too, on that. It's not the easiest response when you do good to somebody just because they did evil to you. Now, we live in a world, and I call it the world of the offended, almost. I think that's, years ago, that's how Paul Harvey used to call it. We, you know, we're just the people of the offended all the time. That we, we always, you know, anything, any statements made, we're offended by it so greatly in this. Uh, you look in our world, we become a violent world. We become a world of hatred and things of this nature. We want to fire it back right to them. If they do it to me, I will bring it right back to you. And Jesus says, no, you will not. You'll do the exact opposite. You will give them good instead. You need to forgive and seek out reconciliation instead. Now, that takes a radical change in your life to do this. Uh, I'm brought, you'd be brought up with a concept, you know, I'm going to get even with them on this. Uh, it's how we would think in our minds at times. That's why I'm saying it's a scary passage because it's asking something, can't I even do this? It's hard for me to be even able to do this. 
I'll forgive somebody if they will come and ask me to forgive them. If they will repent and come and ask me, and if that's on my good day, I will forgive them for it. No. I will forgive even when they don't ask. When it happens, I need to be praying for them already and forgiving them. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. That's why it's so radical. It cuts right down to the heart of me right there in this. Because then, it's like next to impossible, isn't it? Isn't that about like next to impossible to be what I've just described here in this? We grasp every idea I've said so far. That's why it makes it so scary because that's just, this is not me in this right here. We need to get connected, though, to reality of what Jesus is saying right here. Uh, can you not do anything? Somebody just slaps me across the face. Am I not going to react back to it? Now, he's saying this also now. Though if we, because we strive to do good, somebody's doing these things. Because you're a Christian, he's doing these things. Can you say you're not going to react in that way? Can you forgive those and love them even though they don't care whether you forgive them or not? They absolutely could care less whether you forgive them. Whether they hurt you and you tell them about you have hurt me deeply in this. I don't care. We're still, as Jesus says, we are to forgive. It'd be nice if you go talk to somebody, you know, you realize that what you have done has hurt me and uh, I forgive you of what has happened here. And that person says, I apologize. You know, I, you know, I didn't realize what I did hurt you that badly. And I, please forgive me of this. And you maybe have a hug and a prayer together in this. And that's how you hope it would work out any time. I'm going to tell you, most time it don't. It doesn't work that way all the time. Uh, it'd be great if it was in that. But and I need to say good things about these people at the same time. Somebody I don't like. That's why I said it's scary, impossible type thoughts of what it's getting into. To be like this, I'll, no, I, I wish I was, and I strive to be like this in my life right there. Because what Jesus is doing in this group of passages down through here, let's get to the heart of it real quickly. This is what Jesus is trying to do in this. If you are my disciples, you will do these type things. This is why you are my disciples. Jesus is going through our cleaning out the garden. He's weeding everything out. You know, people say that they're disciples of Jesus Christ. He's going there and weeding everything out. Who is really his disciples now? Let's get to the heart of it right there. Uh, don't just say that you're following Jesus and you're not doing these things because you're a hypocrite if you do that. You might say on the other side of it, oh, I can't do these things. But I can't be, you know, I'm striving, but I'm not like this all the time. I wish I was, but I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not like this all the time. I really work. This is why I pray a lot about these things right here. Remember when Jesus, this man came to Jesus. His son is so sick. son's probably dying. He comes to Jesus and, Jesus, will you heal my son? And Jesus said, if thou believest, thou believest. And man, apparently, you know, he just heard of Jesus. Jesus is a faith healer or something like that. 
And he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I, I don't know. I just don't know. I help my unbelief. Make me believe, Jesus. Make me believe. I can almost hear the cry of the Father. That Father right there as he's crying out to Jesus. You know, I believe anything if you just save my son right now. I believe anything there. I think we all could be there in that thought right there. Uh, please help me, Lord, to get there. And that's part of this thought of what he's talking about here. Help me, Lord, to be there. I don't need to be a hypocrite and pretend I am this way all the time. But the fact is, it's impossible maybe all the time that I'm like this. Jesus has given us a glimpse of what the kingdom, his kingdom, church, what it should be like. What it should be like that I need to be totally dependent upon God. I, I'm not totally like this, but with God's help, I am. I can be like this. I'm not like this all the time, but when I pray to him and ask him for help and ask him for strength, ask him, I'm going to, you know, help this mean, hateful person down here, and Lord, help me also. Pray for your enemies. Pray for yourself. And the Lord, make up for what I'm lacking in. Because... What seemingly is impossible is made possible through Jesus. That's where the possibilities happen right there. He enables us. He helps us. I know how to love because I've seen how he loved his enemies. As the blood streamed down from the cross, I know what it means when he talks about loving enemies right there. Ain't no, no reason why I shouldn't right there. I need to resist evil. I, don't, I need to resist the temptation of smacking back on this right here. Jesus challenging us as disciples here to believe in God. Everything can be possible and is possible with God if I believe and obey him. Can I walk on water? I often thought about that, but that's a different story. But... Uh, I believe faith that anything's possible. Absolutely. I believe anything's possible with the right amount that God can make anything possible. Uh, in that fact, right there. There's passages in the Bible that sometimes we struggle with because it's the literal thoughts of, we try to make some things literal and symbolic and you know, back and forth in that thoughts right there. We live in this horrible world that we live in right here. And if we do this, we're making ourselves so vulnerable Will somebody reach out and take advantage of me right here and that may even physically injure me because I do these things? Well, God provided law and order. We talked briefly in one little sentence or two about it this morning. Romans 13th chapter, he talks about he provided government, laws, law and order in this, that I don't need to be lashing out. I need to let the authorities take care of whatever there's a violent issue or something like that needs to be handled, let the, let the authorities take care of this. I don't need to be trying to take care of these things myself in this. We need to practice this law of loving our enemies. It, yes, by myself and trying to do everything by myself is impossible, but with God, he can make all things possible in this. 
freely given unto me that I need to be free. He's exhibited all these things and showed the example that I need to be freely given to everyone else in this. God promises. You might say, well, if I give everything I've got, I ain't got nothing. <laughs> uh, God doesn't let his children go hungry. I can tell you that. He's not going to let us go hungry. If we help take care of those and even our enemies, God's going to help us. He will help us in this. He provides for us in all things. I know we live in this old world of paybacks. We're always wanting to pay back. Well, like I said a moment ago, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Quit doing that part of the Lord's work. We got other work we need to be doing for the Lord. Instead of taking his work away from him in this. Uh, we need to be about forgiveness. And that's painful in this. We need to be about forgiveness in this, that we need to be about following after him. And like I said of myself, it might be impossible, but all things are possible through him. I think it's a challenge to the fact, have you really committed? We touched on that just briefly this morning about being fully committed in Bible study this morning, about fully committed in our going out and trying to reach out to the lost there in this world. I need to be praying and doing good to those who hurt me and do things about me every day, and I need God's help to help me do these things also. Now, when we read Luke 6 chapter, remember these things, you try to do them of yourself without God, these things start coming impossible. But they're all possible through him. They're possible through him. Like I said, the Lord's weeding out the garden. He's weeding us out. He's weeding us out, and do you really realize to the fact that you're not going to go to heaven without him? That's sort of where some of this leads to the fact. You're not going to go to heaven without him. We need him. It's scary to me that we try to think that I can do this on my own, that I think I can even go to heaven without him. Ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how we get through a day without the Lord. I've thought of this so many times, how people go throughout their day and they don't pray. And th I don't know how people make it. I just absolutely, it's just, I struggle with that, how people make it every day. As I pray and I, it, with the Lord's help, I make it every day. That's the only way I make it. Or I feel like it because I need him that desperately in my life every day. That's why it's sometimes scary. We try to make it alone. You can't do this alone. You can't do any of this alone without Jesus. The things that are impossible become possible at that time. He's there to give us what the Im impossibility. You know, I, I can't be saved. I can't do, any, I can't do anything on myself uh, without his help, without his guidance. He's made the only way that I can be saved. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. That we obey it. We come to him in forgiveness. For his forgiveness. 